The Money Show. Business Unusual. With Colin Cullis. So can we monitor what keeps countries free, Colin Cullis? We can, and hopefully uh, all of us should do a little more about it. Uh, and this is based uh, in part because on Saturday we've got the 20th anniversary for the attacks on, on America, the 9-11 attacks. Uh, and in part, while lots of focus were on the attacks themselves because it was a, a world event, it happened in New York, there was around-the-clock footage of a very audacious attack, flying two airliners into buildings, which ultimately led to them even falling down, um, thankfully is not something we see every day and hopefully don't see ever again. Um, but with the withdrawal from the US from Afghanistan and people assuming perhaps after 20 years and all that money spent by the US that Afghanistan would now have some semblance of a democracy, some freedom, some determination for you know plotting a path to something that possibly many of us would consider a normal life where people have freedoms and access to things, uh, only to be surprised, I guess, for the most part, to say, wow, that collapsed so quickly. Before the US had even left, the Taliban had recaptured the entire country, toppled the government, and were back in charge. Um, for some, you could say, they had uh, kicked the Americans out. They had retaken and were running their own country again. That's sovereignty. That's a good thing. But for many, I think they would agree, the country is not free. Uh, and so the notion for this evening was, was a bit of a look and the role that business plays uh, in how we are able to retain our freedoms and liberties, because it's fair to say it's very hard to fight for. It's just as easy to sustain, but it's quite easy to lose. Afghanistan is an example, and unfortunately, too many other examples, Tunisia, um, uh, uh, Guinea just this week, all of them falling to some or other sense of major political evil, leaving society sort of stuck. And, and you're right, they did ask um, ahead of the show just to ask wh- what do you think the situation is in South Africa, given, you know, societies consist of the state, business, the people. And, and you want sort of a, a happy tension between those three groupings uh, in order for the for the system to work. Uh, and so I asked, you know, who's the most powerful in our setup? The state came out with 53%. Business came out with 25%. The people at 14% and just 6% said it was balanced. Uh, and and in, in addressing sort of those issues uh, is also this fantastic documentary that's on Netflix called Turning Point. It's, it's running at the moment. Uh, and in some respects, I'm a little bit sort of, hmm, I, I'm conflicted about why I have to uh, suggest people watch documentaries about very important world events on ostensibly an entertainment streaming platform. Um, because that's not where you, where you think you get sort of good, credible information. But it is preferable, given how much access and how many more people have Netflix, than if it was simply on a limited release at some or other documentary festival. So a plus for that one. But one of the sentiments that it expresses, and it's one of the most comprehensive ones I've seen, is it tracks what led to people being so angry at the US to want to take on those kinds of attacks, how, um, how America's anger led them to want to go and attack Afghanistan, and then in haven't overtaken Afghanistan, moved to take on Iraq, stay in Afghanistan, and potentially see, you know, the writing on the wall that the, the, the project they were looking to do there was not going to succeed, in part because they were there already before 9-11, just trying to keep the Soviets out when they had uh, looked to take Afghanistan. Uh, and a remarkable little clip, it's not remarkable, I think at the time, uh, anybody who was following the story would have got it, but I think with, with the, the, the fall uh, of the of the Afghan gam- government now and the rise of the Taliban, some people were sort of surprised. But there's a clip that uh, Hillary Clinton did uh, with Fox News back in July 2010, just talking about the situation in Afghanistan and the likelihood that they would be able to, um, you know, set the situation up to to be more successful uh, and exit and leave the country better off than they found it. 
Uh, and, and she's quite candid to say, listen, there's going to be issues and what potentially uh, was the cause of those issues. This, this is that interview. To be fair, we had helped to create the problem we're now fighting. How? Because when the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan, we had this brilliant idea that we were going to come to Pakistan and create a force of Mujahideen, equip them with Stinger missiles and everything else to go after the Soviets inside Afghanistan. And we were successful. The Soviets left Afghanistan. And then we said, great, goodbye, leaving these trained people who were fanatical in Afghanistan and Pakistan, leaving them well armed, creating a mess, frankly, that uh, at the time we didn't really recognize. We were just so happy to see the Soviet Union fall and we thought, okay, fine, we're, we're okay now. Everything's gonna be so much better. Now you look back, the people we're fighting today, we were supporting in the fight against the Soviets. And the take out from that is, in the 2000, after the attacks, they realized, ah, you know, 10 years prior, we did something and we didn't quite take into account the consequences, or rather, we chose not to, you know, dwell on what the potential consequences are. And now that they've withdrawn, reset the clock, if not in Afghanistan, somewhere else in the regions where they have done something or, or possibly pulled out, this sort of situation is quite likely to restart itself. Exactly. The society that's left behind. <laughs> so, so, so the question is, how do we avoid it there? And I suppose to bring it closer to home, how do we ensure it doesn't happen here? Because when, you know, our government and, and certainly the ruling party in our government has to uh, rely on clever little um, backdoors to try and get its candidates uh, on a list for a local election. And you'd think, well, municipal elections are about the, the most minor of administrations ensuring the most basics of services. So simply getting a list together for who should be on it should uh, be an indicator to say, well, how likely are they be able to, to do that uh, particular thing? And again, here, I'm going to refer to a very useful uh, a book from 2019 that was called The Narrow Corridor. And it explains the sort of scenarios that you need to ensure that there is a good balance between government and society. Uh, and, and the authors sort of put it together coming from many other uh, um, sources, etc. cetera. Uh, and, and for my part, I, I love reading these things. I often find I just don't have enough time to be able to read them. Uh, even when you do join that sort of 4 a.m. club and think, right, now I'm going to get up and go and read something, you still never feel you have enough time. So I did use a little bit of a hack with this one, and it's a, a book summary service called Blinkist. Uh, and besides me reading multiple books, you take a subscription, they'll give you all the books that you want. Uh, after a while, they started start getting a sense of what you like uh, reading, and they will start suggesting it. And just this last week or so, it suggested you probably would be interested in reading this one. And I've got to agree, it provided great insights to understanding what is happening in Afghanistan, and perhaps a little more of an insight to what's happening here. So the starting point for them goes back to 1600 philosophy. Uh, Thomas Hobbes back then already identified that humans were in this perpetual state of conflict with each other and would remain that way unless there was a, a sort of a strong centralizing authority that sort of level the playing field, create some rules, enforce the laws. Um, and, and, and this is supposedly, you would have think, well, 400 years later, surely we, we've got that sorted. Uh, but then they introduced this, this other idea, or he did, uh, about what that, uh, that, that force should be. And he called it a Leviathan. Uh, these days, probably not the best sounding name for it, but effectively, you had to have a central government and it had to be a powerful central government. And we found subsequently that just having weak governments, if you think about Haiti uh, and I suppose many other countries like that where you have lots of governments and you sort of cycle through them, they've never had the ability to sort of centralize get the administration side and implement things. And quite honestly, I think you could possibly level that on our own government to say, uh, you know, on paper, on a principle, the government is very strong on implementation and, and you know, rooting out it's corruption and things like that. Rubbish. Yes. Things fall down. 
<laughs> exactly. Uh, and then the, the other element that comes from it, it's, it's the element that comes from uh, the sort of corruption side of it. And these are, you know, the notion of business, and they often put elites in with business as having, you know, a smaller group with, uh, you know, more power than just the average person and uh, particular interests. And if they can sway the government, I have business is is more powerful than government, then you get corruption, then you get the sort of inequalities um, that allow, you know, certain people to do very well, while the majority of people sort of wonder, how do I get a fair fair go in society? And once again, in South Africa, I think there is certain elements of that, although, when you look at some uh, elements that how South Africa's addressed these things, you can think about uh, the pandemic, for example. Business has really come to the party uh, in, in enforcing rules and regulations that the government set up, which were very significantly uh, curtailing to, to what a normal business person would do. Uh, having to not let people in and close at certain times, business could have said, well, we won't, we won't strictly adhere to it, and people probably been happy to not strictly adhere to it. But the fact that they did do that suggest that there was a good partnership between government saying we need to protect people, albeit it's going to be painful, and business understanding that that was the case and so do it anyway. Perhaps some areas where we don't have that, uh, you could argue with uh, you know, land inequality or wealth inequality or income inequality and, uh, and the process that business seeks to engage with government and broader society about how best to address that and, and what sound makes for fair salaries for the top, top earners and, and whether something else can be done. You know, it suggests there's, there's something that needs to be done there as well. Uh, and so bringing all this together and, and relying on, on some of those elements of the books is this notion of saying it's a narrow corridor that you have to walk for democracy. And, it's, and they talk about it being a long corridor as well. You never, you don't get a democracy and then job's over. Once you're in it, you have to work hard to keep it. And the thing that I'd hope all South Africans do remember, and this is the catch with this many years now since apartheid and perhaps people thinking things are relatively peaceful. I suppose July is a good reminder to suggest in no ways is, uh, is our work done yet is that it's much easier to fight to retain democracies than it is to fight to regain it. And the the element that probably more likely fits into the discussions we have around business unusual and the the, the sort of implications of tech is that those small erosions of your liberties, those little shifts that happen because we become slightly complacent, we don't worry about a little thing about our privacy gets taken or people can see everything that we're doing, that before you know it, you're in a situation where the balance has shifted, where business has become too powerful or, or the government has become too powerful and you start moving into places where government becomes dictatorial. Uh, and you look at uh, countries like China, who you know, at one point were looking very stable. There was a, a balance of sorts. The people were certainly part of the whole revolution, as it were. These days, I don't think you can make that argument without saying Communist Party rules everything uh, with an iron fist and, and that possibly is not a good way to go. And even in America, European countries, um, the notion of, of people and the, 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 the divisiveness by which society and, and, and the government are at odds with each other, the, the abortion ban in, in, in Texas and, and how the, the two parties are sort of at each other's throats and the people are equally divided. That's the kind of thing that says this is the antithesis of what you're trying to fight for, for good, stable democracies, to have people get equality, for business to be able to create wealth and, and economies to boom. Uh, and you know, watch the documentary, read the books, please, let's not go down the road because we were complacent and, and closed our eyes to it, only for another documentary in 10 years' time to have somebody like Hillary Clinton point out that said somebody knew this was going to happen and they predicted it long ago. 
And that's the point. I mean, the same way to retain democracy is considerably more comfortable. And I mean, no, it's not more comfortable. It can be something very, very hard to retain, but it's considerably better for society in the same way as getting a, a new customer is considerably more expensive than retaining and keeping an old one happy. You've got to be careful that you don't lose what is most valuable to you. Thank you, Colin Cullis. Still provoking stuff. Colin Cullis uh, with Business Unusual.